episode 66 for April 2009. The Spider-Man Crawl Space Podcast is sponsored by MailOrderComics.com. They're an online leader in comic and trade paperback sales, and they offer amazing discounts off the cover price. An example this month is Amazing Spider-Man number 596. The cover price is $2.99. Mail Order has it for $1.49, which is 50% off. So check them out at MailOrderComics.com and tell them the Crawl Space sent you. Welcome back, fellow webheads, to our April show. Let me introduce our panel, as we do every month. We have the masterwork himself, Kevin Cushing. Kevin's an administrator on the Crawl Space <laughs> and an aspiring comic book writer. Hello, Mr. Masterwork. How you doing? Uh, happy to be between hardcovers. <laughs> I think I saw that movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, we also have the essential Spider-Girl, a.k.a. Stella. Welcome, Stella. Uh, thank you, and actually, unfortunately, Stella couldn't make it today from 616 Universe, but I decided to uh, stop in. I'm actually from Earth-52, and felicitously, my name is also Stella, so not to confuse any of you, but I'm happy to be here for my first time. What the hell? All right, good job. <laughs> and uh, Stella616 is our newest administrator on the message board, so congratulations to her. Is she there with us today? Well, I'll no. try to find her. I'll try to find <laughs> Okay. Welcome to the Multiple Personality Crawl Space Podcast. Uh, we also have the essential man thing, Spidey Dude. <laughs> 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 uh, What's your man thing? How you doing, buddy? <laughs> well, my man thing's doing pretty good right now. Uh, uh, Sykes uh, also an administrator on the site, and you can find him at SpideyDude.com. And sadly, JR couldn't be with us today. He's uh, running behind on his comic book reading, and... And uh, he's got that thing called life getting in the way. So, Jr., we wish you well. We'll hopefully talk to you in May. And before we get to the reviews like we do every month, we're going to hit the spider letter bags. Uh, letter bag, not bags. We didn't get that much mail. Uh, we've got some nice emails from listeners over the past month, and we've also got some nice iTunes reviews. I'm going to read a couple of these. This first one is from Scott Chobluck. Sorry, Scott, if I screw up your last name, but he's from Oak Bank, Manitoba, Canada, and his handle on our message board is Spider Plumber. <laughs> Let me read you his letter. He says, hey, I've only recently discovered you. The podcast was found through the Pendant Audio, and I'm loving it. I don't know quite what that is, but I'm glad they're getting our feeds out there. And uh, Scott has downloaded the first 25 episodes to listen to. He's usually at work, and he's a plumber. And he says, I'm going to try to hammer through them and get myself caught up, which is a daunting task, but what the hell. Anyway, at 38 years old, I've collected Spidey since I was around five, so that equals lots of comics, models, etc. And he has one comment during your third podcast. I know it's a long time ago for you, but it's only two hours for me. You were talking about your favorite story arcs, and the death of Gene DeWolf is his favorite. I, he says he longs for those days, and I truly despise Brand New Day. So off he goes. Scott Chablock from uh, Canada. He's a plumber. So what do you think of that guy? What's up with the spider crack? Who's doing that in the chat room? I had that window <laughs> midnight. Somebody's talking about plumber crack. No, he's a good guy. <laughs> we all have spider crack. I hope you Stella. Before you blame me on this one, it was Stella. <laughs> well, Stella oh, that's is. Which Stella ridiculous. was it? That's ridiculous. You're not going to have the accent the whole show, are you? <laughs> no, I'll turn it off at some point. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Scott. The gang appreciates it. 
And also, we've gotten a couple nice reviews of uh, on iTunes. This one's from Kansas or KS Spidey fan. Uh, the subject is Spider-Man Crawl Space Rocks. He says, "Brad, thanks for getting the gang together. The podcast just keeps get it. Blah, blah, blah. The podcast just keeps sucking, like I just did. The podcast." <laughs> Just keeps getting better, and I'll learn English in a few days. And the recently <laughs> added podcasts each month are a welcome bonus. I love the diverse opinions, ranging from the veteran JR to the newcomer Stella616, who has been a great addition. <laughs> Kevin's reviews from a writer's perspective are an additional reason to listen to the podcast, and why hasn't a major comic book company hired this guy? So Kansas, You're making that part up. No, 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 I swear, that's that's in there. Kansas Spike fan. So you've got a fan, Kevin. Appreciate it, man. All right. The other one is from Nightcrawler, uh, 091983. Wow. Uh, he says, he had, same, he had the same problem as Venom65476. <laughs> That's a lot of handles <laughs> taken up. A fun spider cast. He says, this is a, a fun, exciting, and informative podcast. It says, diverse and lively cast. It's a diverse and lively cast of passionate fans. They always have a new creator, artist, or editor to talk Spidey with. Just be aware that the language can get a little strong, but they don't lose any points from me. So sit back and relax and enjoy the Spider-Man crawl space. Okay. We don't cuss on this show, do we? <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, the Patio Boater. Uh, is, wrote this next one. He says, great podcast. I always look forward to seeing a new one posted. This is one of my favorite podcasts on all the internet. Not just because I'm a longtime Spider fan, but because Brad has a panel, which is, which always provides a fun and entertaining hour plus of commentary and insight. The episodes that contain interviews with writers, artists, and other comic industry figures are especially good. And if you haven't been listening to this podcast for long, it's well worth going back over the episode list to pick them out and listen. The three-parter with Sal Buscema in January of 2009, in honor of his 40th year in comics, contain both a who's who of guests and a ton of insight, what it means to be a working craftsman in a creative field. Good work. So thank you very much, Patio Boater. I appreciate that. And this one is my favorite because I think it really does sum us up. It says, it's a really wonderful podcast. It's like a family, and I mean that in a good way. I've never considered myself a podcast guy, but I love Spider-Man. And so I subscribed to this podcast pretty early on, but never listened to it or really any other podcast I subscribed to. So sue me. I'm a collector of things. When I finally did start listening to this Crawl Space podcast, I was immediately hooked. It's like a family dinner table conversation with rants, virtual love letters, complaints, jokes, disagreements, and just opinions galore. But unlike any other family table or dinner table conversation I've ever had in my life, it's all about Spider-Man. In the past 60 days, I've listened to the first 50 podcasts. I'm going to be bummed next month when I've caught up to the real-time releases of the shows, and I can't just pull one out of pull out a new one whenever I want to. So it's highly recommended. So thank you very much, sir. I, I do think it's like a dinner table conversation. Yeah, because me and Kevin fight like brothers. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and, so, and Stella's in the psych ward for multiple personalities, so it's just everybody's got drama. <laughs> Did we get 616 Stella back? She there? Yeah, yeah, I'm back. I'm okay, back good. Did you beat 52 down? <laughs> um, yeah. All right. No. Let's smack her around. She, she threw her down. She, yeah, she threw her uh. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> He was going with something. I just let him go. Uh, <laughs> Can always be edited later. Yeah, no, I'll exactly. leave that. 
Leave that. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you you take out all your edits except for well, when you say you're going to do it and not do it. But well, that's the uh, best part of the show, isn't it? When I say I'm going to take it out and I don't, and I forget about it. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that's all from the Spider Letter Bag. So I appreciate everybody writing in. If you want to write a review on iTunes, I appreciate it. The more the better. We'll read it on the air. So unless you say we all suck, and if you do it creatively, I might read that too. Uh, the topics we're going to review uh, this month. Well, first, we'll ta- tackle the reviews: Amazing Spider-Man 588, 589, and 590, and the Amazing Spider-Man. Get an extra three bucks out of you. Extra issue number three. Four bucks. Extra? Was it four? God bless. Yep. <laughs> all right. Unless, five, eight, unless you're getting into railroad comics, which I'm not. There you, so five, I paid the. <laughs> yeah, so we paid like two forty-seven. There you go. Which yeah, is for you. <laughs> it's still high prices for mail order comics. <laughs> <laughs> All right, amazing 588. We wrap up character assassination. Uh, Kevin, let's have you tackle it, you masterwork you. Oh hell. Um, <laughs> well, what can I say? It was a uh, it was a bland end to a bland arc that promised a lot more than it gave. Uh, we finally get the end of the election plot, except it just won't die. <laughs> 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 We had somebody elected, but no, no, we can't do that. The election story has to go on because it's it's just so interesting. Gosh darn it. That was just great. Um, woo, we got more Menace. We got more Spider-Man in prison that we've never seen before. I think the only part of this issue I liked was Harry putting on the Green Goblin mask again. Even though I would have preferred he went full on with the whole Green Goblin thing. He just kind of wore a mask and a business suit, but whatever. Um <laughs> He's channeling his so, father. Yeah. Yeah, except his father shouldn't be doing that either. And <laughs> Anyway, um, which actually channeling his father was part of the problem with this. Is The reason I would have really enjoyed him putting on the Green Goblin mask usually would be the anticipation of what that promises, the potential. And while God knows after reading a year and a half of Brand New Day, I should be desensitized to thinking there's going to be potential by now. I still hope every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But we've already gotten the teasers for American Son, where we yeah. see Harry Osborne in an Iron Patriot Jr. suit. <laughs> which means this potential is, surprise, surprise, blown. So, do, we, do we know that's Harry behind the, the, the mask of that costume? That's what they've been advertising. Oh, okay. It's not they're doing another totally <clears throat> misleading thing. Yeah. Um, okay. But, so, you know, maybe that's a problem with the modern practice of giving us solicitations and advanced teasers and stuff three, four, five months ahead, but still the the promise of that scene was what would have been cool about it, but there really wasn't any promise because we know it's not going to work out and do anything interesting. Yeah. So, you know, we got the J.R. Jr. art again. I like J.R. Jr., but just like this whole arc, it's, I don't know, inking, coloring, something's been off and it just doesn't look as good as usual. So, uh, I was bored Overall, so I'm going to give this a C-. Okay. Stella, what do you think? We're wrapping it up. Um, Yeah, I guess I wish that this issue were able to, um, I don't know, make the actual four-part series good, but it didn't. It failed in that. And for me, I think the writing was just... I just didn't like the writing, I think, because a lot of things didn't really seem to fit like why would menace slip up and say i have to save my friend it seems really i don't know like she all of a sudden starts making mistakes towards the end in order to ease this um 
uh, revelation that it's actually Lily. And then there are all these mentionings of Morlin and of Gwen, and so you're wondering how exactly does this fit into everything that is forgotten. Um, and I also wonder why Harry would help Spider-Man out when we all know that Harry has a extreme dislike for Spider-Man. Yeah. So I think there are just a bunch of things that I would pick apart that I didn't agree with. So I would give it a C. Um, I think there were better issues in the character assassination plot. And unfortunately, the fourth issue should really be the best because it is the the ending. But it was just extremely anticlimactic. So. Yeah. Zach, hit it up. What do you think? This uh, this arc pretty much sums up what the rest of the past year has been: Medio- mediocrity. Yeah. Um, there, <clears throat> this this plot has been tired. It's, you know, if this had been in December, where we could have gotten a fresh start in January, I think I wouldn't have been as mad. But, I mean, these just oh, fake yeah, attempt to fake the reader out was just not very good. Lily, I mean, still brings up a great point. Why does she start suddenly make mistakes when she hasn't made a single mistake up until this arc? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was moronic. Um, the inking um, really made J.R. Jr.'s – it was really heavy, particularly the last like four or five uh, – the last scene with Harry and, and Peter and uh, Norman and Lily – those, if you look at those scenes. It was very, <clears throat> the ink, inks were very heavy, and I didn't, I didn't like that inking style because it really doesn't fit J.R. Junior's art. Uh, so the art was just was merely okay. It, it really brought it down. The colors were muted, and, and J- B Dog off of our message board could have done better colors on J.R. Junior's artwork than than what was done in this arc. I, I think they're trying to make it dark and and, and menacing, but uh, in most cases it works with J.R. Junior, but not in this case. It, it, it was just—it was an epic fail. That's the best way to describe it. Epic fail Fine. all around. Uh, I—I'm not going to give it an F because mm-hmm. I mean it did—it it did advance the story and it did finally give us some sort of re- resolution. But um, like the mayor plot, you know, that should have been done back in November, and, and you know that would have been that would have fit more, in my opinion, than uh, the way it, it has been handled. Uh, it, this just goes back to the, to the problem of the three issues a month is that we get you know 36 issues worth of story and we're only really getting 12 months worth of story yeah so um i i, I wish i could give this a better grade because I, I you know at the end of the day i do want guys like dan slot and mark guggenheim to succeed but I, I just i didn't like i didn't like this and this this temple arc is not very good so uh, i'm gonna give it a c okay just flat c I'm gonna go above. I'm gonna give it a B minus. <laughs> I always <laughs> just I barely above. Use, I use Zeta. <laughs> I, I I'll give some pros and I'll give some cons. I, I love the artwork. Um, the con, the cons <laughs> are are um, you know I really don't. It, it kind of goes back to the, uh, the jackpot reveal. I really don't care who jackpot was. I really don't care who the spider tracer killer is. That, that, yeah, that, that, that whole convoluted bit was just ridiculous. Who cares? I didn't care for Vin. He, he hasn't had that much character development that I should give a shit about him. So this is kind of just thrown in there as we wrap up a year's worth of plots. Um, I, I do care a little, uh, we'll go to the pros. I care for, uh, Menace just a little bit better. 
that I know who she is. And I think it's neat that we have a female goblin for a change. Um, and you know what's what's odd is I, I care more for the character f- from what I see, which is coming up, which is the previews we've seen of her pregnant. I think that should be kind of interesting. Um, and Except for the fact that it was just a disgusting freaking cover. I, well, it's a disgusting character, so why does it have an ugly baby? Put it on Jerry Springer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who's the baby the of the song? Who's the Osborne father this time? Is it Harry or is it Norman? Anyway. <laughs> Have like two or three chairs next to her. Somebody comes out. Yeah. Who's Norman banging now? Who's, who's Norman banging? Is it this blonde in the front row? Is it this blonde in the back row? <laughs> What's his? Hey, was his wife blonde headed? Uh, I think she was brunette. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, uh, I think it was interesting with the uh, the hair, uh, the, the Norman and the Lily thing welcoming to the family. I thought that was kind of neat. If Jr. was on the show, I think he'd get a kick out of that. I don't know. I can't predict Jr. that well, but I think he'd like that. Yeah, Jr. is unpredictable. Yeah, he's pretty unpredictable. <laughs> I, don't know. I felt more like I felt like that was out of character. I think Norman really? would have probably just killed her. Really? Yeah, she. I agree. She's an undeserving pretender who usurped. A project of his. I don't see him welcoming her to the family. He's he's not exactly accepting of people in his family. I think he would have pretty much just, for lack of a better term, popped a cap in her ass. Yeah. Well, I I like that part. I didn't. Uh, you know, I'm I'm looking at uh, Michael Bailey's review on our site right now. I don't remember the part where Norman was ta- or Harry was talking to Peter. What what happened in that scene? I'm trying to remember that. Harry was. Oh, uh, go ahead, Doug. They were talking about how. Uh, Peter was talking about how he never had a father. And, and I think wasn't that wasn't that the scene? I can't remember it better than I will. I haven't read the issue. I think I think it's oh. bad <laughs> that we all can't remember the damn thing. <laughs> yeah, it was two weeks ago we read this stuff, and it uh, it's not sticking with us, you know. So yeah, I guess that that says it was something. Two weeks ago for you guys, it was more like a month, you know, six weeks ago for me. <laughs> it's uh, it's like Peter is talking to Harry, and it is about uh, parental issues. And yeah. Peter pretty much says that every child carries the burden of the parent. Okay. So because I think Harry's down on himself for everything that you know Norman has done. So I think that's right. a big issue. So. so B minus C C minus Kevin. Yep. And C minus Zach. It's just flat C. Flat C. Okay. Just a flat uh, All right. Let's go on to 589. We've got uh, the return of one of my favorite C-list villains, the Spot. Uh, Fred Van Lint, or Linty, one of the two, wrote this. And we have a new penciler, uh, Paulo uh, Sigukira. Sigukira. Okay. And he's not new. He's the same Sigu- one that did the, uh, the issue that had three writers on it. Sigukira, Sigukira. Okay, got it. I, I'll never forget it now. <laughs> that it's not Shakira. Yeah. Okay. Let's get Dude, it right. You can say it three times. It sounds the same way when you say it. <laughs> Let's start with Spider Girl on this one. What do you think of the spot? Okay. Uh, well, it started off a little slow at first, and I was very uninterested. And then when the spot actually came into the picture, it sped up really quickly. Yeah. Um, I thought it was. I know a lot of people have commented about this on the message board, but it was really clever. Just that one panel, how clever it was that Spider-Man was punching through Spot and it came back and hit him. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was really the highlight of the book for me. Um, and there were cute moments, obviously, when Spider-Man is reading that paper with the dots on it and says, <laughs> am I supposed to be able to read this? I just, 
it seemed like a very random issue to me. And I understand that one-shots really are random to begin with, but it seems like this came out of nowhere, out of the ether. And it was just sad that we haven't seen Spot in a long time, and they introduce him, and not in a very great way. They could have given him potentially a better story, and now we probably won't see him for a very long time. And this reminds me of bringing back Chameleon and the Obama uh, back issue thingy. Um, just that, I mean, you bring back a villain. Whoa. What was that? <laughs> Did someone just eat some chili? What the hell was that? <laughs> anyway, Stella, you still got the floor. <laughs> uh, just uh, bringing back a cool villain, not in a great way, and then you use him and you're going to put him to the side now and we won't be able to see him again for a long time. So that's my only qualm about it, I think. Um, I think I'd give it a C plus. Okay. Uh, Kevin, are you going to be higher than that? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Um <laughs> I would have gotten equal entertainment value out of this issue if I had taken it directly from my mail or comics box and tossed it in the trash. Oh, wow. Dude. It's wow. not that it was, I mean, it's not that it was terrible. It's just that it was useless. Utterly useless. I didn't get really any entertainment value out of it. It didn't, it didn't hold my interest. The, the meat of the issue was a review of Modox 11, which, by the way, I intentionally didn't buy because I didn't want to read it. This was this was dumb. This was inane. It didn't belong here. I got absolutely nothing out of it. It wasn't it, it, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't a complete failure. It wasn't the jackpot reveal, but it didn't belong there. It was stupid. It was senseless. And yeah, I got absolutely nothing out of it. So I'm going to give it a D. God bless. Okay. <laughs> We're really far on this one, Kev. Uh, go ahead, Zach. <laughs> um, I'm going to give this a B. Thank you. Whoa! Whoa. I'm going to give this one a B. Even though, even though I, I felt like the artwork was done by Todd McFarlane's clone, yeah. um, which uh, it's, not McFar- it's not McFarlane. Not a bad thing, though. It's not a bad thing, but it's not necessarily a good thing either. Okay. Um, uh, um, the story was not bad. And, and look, I, I felt like... Uh, the best issues of Brand New Day have been the ones that haven't dealt with Brand New Day. True. Uh, Flash Thompson issue. This one. The Flash. Yeah, the Flash Thompson issue, the Betty issue, which was yep. the Barack Obama <laughs> issue. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, Even anyway. the dogs chiming in. Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah, he he didn't like that sound effect apparently. Um, <laughs> you saying we did? <laughs> <laughs> I apologize on behalf of the rest of the Crawl Space Podcast for members. Anyway, um, it just wasn't a great issue. I, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it, uh, but I didn't hate it. Right. But I mean, the artwork really—I I did like the artwork. I mean, the story was merely okay. It was above average, which above average is me a C plus, and uh, and uh, so. The art gave it a B, so I, I'm just gonna give it a flat B. I, I really, I like the artwork. I wish he would do some more. Uh, I don't know if he could probably do more because he's only done one shots. My concern is, is I don't think he could do an extended arc, but he's great for one shots. My question is, what has Fred Van Linty written before? I believe he wrote Modox 11, which is why he was writing. <laughs> what the exception <laughs> of that miniseries Kevin loves? Has he written anything else? I can't think. Uh, of he's it, written he's the Incredible right. Hercules. He's actually writing um, 
I believe he's the one writing the Dark Rain Electra miniseries, which is actually pretty damn good. Nice. Nice. Uh, I'll give this an A minus, just to be really opposite of Kevin. Uh, (laughs) I've always loved the spot. I think he's an underused villain that uh, has great power potential. If used right, I think this is the first time he's been used right. Like, if you have the powers to create black holes and, and go jump through them at any different spot in the world, I think that's an amazing power. And I think Mr. Van Lint picked up on that and used it quite well. He didn't make Spot too much of a, a humorous villain, which in the, uh, since he was created back in the 80s has been. He's been kind of a joke character. In fact, he got his neck broken in prison by Tombstone. Uh, back in the uh, Tangled Web miniseries, or Tangled Web series. But anyway, I think the Spot's a great character. I think it's nice to have him come back and be a badass. And as Stella said, that shot where Spider-Man punches through the black hole, hits himself in the face, is just shows you how humorous this guy's powers are, but how badass he can be, too, because you can't fight this guy. And uh, I also thought it was kind of cute with the uh, the Batman jokes that uh, Spider-Man made. It was, oh, yeah. I, I, I did like the Batman jokes. That was pretty good. I thought that was as, great. As the resident Christian Bale impersonator, I, I appreciated that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I hope the spot comes back. I mean, uh, I uh, granted it was a it felt like a one shot, but it, it and that I guess that's the problem. It's it's a problem that this comes out three times a month. And one of them is a fill-in, and that's the damn best one of the the, the deal, in my opinion. But anyway, A minus out of me. Bring the spot back, please. All right, we got two more before we wrap up the reviews. We've got 590, which feels like a Marvel team-up issue, in my opinion. Uh, we're gonna have Dan Slott and Barry Kitson tackle it. So, Spidey dude, you start on this one. What do you think of this one? 590. Uh, it's very hard for me to review 590 without reviewing 591. Mm-hmm. But uh, 590 by itself, it set up so much. I mean, we all heard about the New Avengers 51 issue where right. Peter randomly decides, okay, I'm going to take off my mask now. Um, this finally well, they, they threatened to kick him out of the team if he didn't. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I, I like this issue because I like Dan Slott and the FF. Mm-hmm. Uh, mix that in with Spider-Man. It's been, you know... Dan Slott's best work was the FF uh, – I'm sorry, the Human Torch Spider-Man miniseries. And uh, this really brought me back to the old miniseries. And it, and it goes to explain that, okay, you know, there is a reason why he's un- why he's remasked, even though it should have been answered, oh, I don't know, a year ago. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I felt like there was plot advancement in this issue, and I really – um, I'm really excited for the uh, the next issue to see if he actually does unmask. Yeah. Uh, Stella, what do you think? Or actually, we, I... didn't get, we didn't get his grade. What was your grade on that one? My grade? I'm going to give this an A. And, good God, man. Okay, go ahead. I disagree with everyone this month. Go ahead, Stella. Wow. I absolutely love this issue. It was <laughs> almost the same. Wait. <laughs> um, <laughs> It was almost the saving, you know, if you're not nice to me, I'll bring back Stella 52. So you can prepare. <laughs> it was Please no, everybody be nice. Okay. It was practically the saving grace of the month. It just felt like old-time Spider-Man. I was so happy. The only thing that I had a problem with was the whole Mephisto somehow worked his way into this issue. And so I suppose it is a clever way to... Uh, Get, okay, heavy breathing, to get at the fact that uh, 
something has happened. I mean, Johnny Storm, he's struggling to remember, and he's like, you did something. So I think it's good people are realizing, and it is a clever way to go about it. But, I mean, I absolutely, I really like this issue. I thought the art was, like, spot on, and I can't wait to hear the derogative remarks that come out of Kevin's mouth. But um, <laughs> but I, I actually give this an A, yep. Wow. Kevin, hit it, brother. This issue annoyed the living piss out of me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll start off with the pros. Okay. Uh, I love Barry Kitson. Uh, he, I'd be happy with him drawing every issue of Amazing Spider-Man if it wasn't for the fact that it would probably make his hand fall off with the schedule. But Barry Kitson's great. The art was wonderful. Um, unfortunately, there was writing involved, too. And that's <laughs> where it <laughs> It wasn't just a pretty picture book, yeah. If, this if wasn't this the nuts scrapbook. Yeah, if this had been a Spider-Man Fantastic Four team-up scrapbook, we would have been all good. But um, I defy you wouldn't pay three bucks for that. I know you. No, I wouldn't. I really no. wouldn't. Um, <laughs> I would have pissed all over that, too, but at I least know. it would have been pretty without the bad writing. <laughs> um, this basically just waved in front of our face after, what, 15 months now? Yeah. Hey, you still don't have dick shit of a clue why nobody knows who he is. I think I want to Isn't that the guy fun? Named dick shit. Yeah, go ahead. Are <laughs> <laughs> you doing dick shit? <laughs> um, this is a Dan Slot problem. This is a big Dan Slot problem. We, we pointed out this was one of our main problems with the New Ways to Die arc. We didn't know what the hell was going on. We didn't know how this universe works. Uh, we don't know what people know, why they know it, why they don't know it, if they can find it out. Yeah. And that screwed a lot of scenes in New Ways to Die. So, Dan Slott returns, and that's basically the entire issue. We don't know what the hell is going on. We don't know why people don't know this. We don't know how people don't know this. But And yeah, it looks like maybe it's going to be resolved in the next issue, although I don't actually buy that. But even if it is... I paid two ninety nine for this issue. There's supposed to be something, you know, some discernible meat to this issue. And all we got in this one was a reminder that we don't know what the hell is going on. Nobody else does either. And Johnny Storm and Spider-Man's relationship, I thought, was written annoyingly. Um, I've never read the Spider-Man Human Torch team-up miniseries. Everybody says it's fantastic and wonderful. Now, I don't know if people actually like their relationship written this way, or he just wrote it really different in this issue than he did in that miniseries. But either way, I didn't like this. I was annoyed by it. And the whole relationship between Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four with, you know, in the beginning, Spider-Man wants to save people. Reed Richards stands back and says, hmm, no. <laughs> and then two scenes later, Reed Richards wants to save people, and Spider-Man has to get paid. Mm. So this was... This was this sucked. Um, F. F. Damn. F. I'm I'm more aligned with Kevin. I thought this was the weakest issue of the month. I'll give it a C. Um, That's close to an F for you. Yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> relatively gave it the same. Grade. That, that, that is true. I, um, <laughs> it bugs me. One of my big complaints about Brand New Day is about how each issue doesn't flow. There's no flow to it. There's there's he's Battling Menace one month, then the oh spot pops up, and now we're in the negative zone. 
what the hell? I mean, there there is no continuation of anything that came before it, with the exception of something that happened, like Kevin said, 15 months ago. Um, why the hell does Spider-Man run around the negative universe without his mask on? First off, it's I, I just don't get that. Um, it, it seemed like a uh, fill-in um, Marvel team-up issue from the 70s that was uh, just now printed. And I also uh, what 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 Kevin said uh, the uh, relationship between Spider-Man and the Human Torch. I have read that miniseries and it's very good. And it's nothing like the the dynamic I think between Spider-Man and the Human Torch in this issue. This one, uh, I thought Johnny was annoying, but he had a reason to be annoyed because he didn't know why his friend is hiding something from him. So, because his friend was acting like a dick, and that was a writing problem. Yeah, too. yeah. His Spider-Man was acting a bit out of character. I don't think if someone says, "Spidey, I need your help. Can you come get it?" He doesn't say, "Yo," as Joe Pesci says, "F you, pay me." And good. <laughs> he I doesn't got to he, get paid, yo. No, F you, pay. No. Uh, well, I mean, to be fair, the, the opening scene went, goes back to that Human Torch miniseries when they were, uh, if you look at the very last issue, Brad, when they have all the pictures and all the stuff that was taken, right. that goes back to that issue. That wasn't really well explained. No, it wasn't. I, I have no, uh, I had no idea that that was connected to the miniseries. Yeah, that's connected to the miniseries. Huh. Uh, that wasn't well explained. That was a dance slot issue. <laughs> um, <laughs> So that's that's probably a reason that you, you don't like it as much, and that's probably a reason that Kevin didn't like appreciate that scene as much as somebody that remember that. So that opening scene where they're in the negative zone that took place during that miniseries. Yes, the very end when they're having all the, the like little scrapbook picture thing, you know. Okay. That's huh. what that. Was about. Wow. Yeah, that even the biggest Spider-Man fan of us didn't get that. Sorry. <laughs> um. Yeah, the, the the paying off thing really bugged me. Uh, I, I, I liked the last panel because I haven't read 591 yet, but I mean, that, that, if that, uh, makes me want to pick up the next issue, which is, I guess it's doing its job, but I wonder what's, he pulls off his mask and I, what if he's got horns and he's the devil or something? We we don't know. (laughs) Anyway. One of us knows, but he's not going to say anything. Right. I I thought it was a good tease. I just didn't like the delivery or the execution. And etc. So C out of me. And one final issue we'll tackle this month is Amazing Spider-Man Extra number three. Uh, who hasn't gone? Well, everybody's gone first for a time. Let's hit uh, Kevin up. What do you think of this one? Are we raising above a C? All three stories at once. Sure. Um, okay, taking them one by one. Yeah. We'll start out with the character assassination epilogue. Okay. Which. It was like if I had gotten painful surgery for four issues, <laughs> and then somebody just dragged a needle across the scar. Oh, damn. Damn. Um, You're not kind this month, sir. <laughs> well, they weren't kind to me, so I don't feel obliged. <laughs> That's the problem here. Yeah. Um, it was pointless. I've, I've seen a lot of people on our message board say that, man, that epilogue really made the whole arc. And I guess they've never read a Spider-Man comic before, because I've seen Spider-Man gets angry and wants to beat somebody up so many freaking times that, no, it doesn't make anything special about this arc. Spider-Man finally, finally reacted to all the crap that was going on. He should have within the four issues we got. There was no reason to have an epilogue in order for him to react. That That didn't need to be there. The only... 
plus of that story was the art in the Night Nurse part of the story. We had two different... I don't know if it was two different artists or two different colorists for the two parts of the story, but the art in the in the Night Nurse half of the story was absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loved that. Um, so for that story, it's going to get a C plus. The plus is for the art. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next story was the Harry and Norman story, which shed, let's face it, no light on anything. Uh, we, we pretty much know everything we, quote, found out in that story. But this was the first Marvel work of artist Dale Eaglesham, who was a DC exclusive artist before now. He was doing the Justice Society of America series. And he's a great artist. Uh, and he was colored by Mike Diodato's colorist, who, let's face it, is maybe the best colorist working in the business. So the art was a real treat. This seems to be the theme of this extra so far. Uh, the art was good, the rest of it, no. So, uh, once again, for the art's sake, I'll give it a C+. Uh, the art deserves more, the writing does not. So, the last story was the female Craven. Aren't we Yay. glad to get back? Uh, this was too little too late. Uh, the female Craven was not interesting the first time around, and giving us a short story later where she has tamed vermin, um, still not interesting. So I didn't, I don't like what they're doing with vermin. I thought J.M. DeMathis did a great job with the character of Edward. You know, he took vermin, made him interesting, made him not vermin anymore, made that character interesting. Now that he's vermin again, there's really nothing you can do with him except completely uninteresting Ratman stories <laughs> or the exact same character arc that happened before, which maybe they'll do because they don't want readers that have been around that long. I don't know. Yeah. Either way, this vermin thing is, I don't think it's good for the character or the story. Um, we finally gave the little Craven a name. We're calling her Anna Craven, which is better than she Craven, except <laughs> if it's a supervillain code name, then it shouldn't be a first and a last name. It's, it should be something stupid like she Craven. If it's a first and a last name, it should be Anna Cravenoff, not Anna Craven. So yeah. the name doesn't actually make any freaking sense. We just finally gave her one because I guess Marvel was sick of people calling her she Craven. Uh, the story gets a D. Okay. So I guess the overall grade of the whole extra would be a C. Okay. Uh, Stella, what do you think? Um, well, I thought the epilogue was the best of the three stories. Uh, the night nurse, I don't know why, but the night nurse, whose name is Night Nurse, um, seems such a compelling character for me. And I don't know if that's really bad or really good. So, I, 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 yeah. Um. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, okay. Um, so, I'm trying to gather my thoughts about this. Well, not, Night Nurse, I think, is a great character. She's dating Doctor Strange. I don't know if you knew that. Stanley. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Okay, okay. I'm, uh, let me let me let me re-explain myself. Okay. Uh, because Chris, but Chalo uh, oh. um, did the issue uh, New Avengers fifty one, and he and he made Stan like 
that it had Doctor Strange with sunglasses on, which looks ridiculous anyway. Oh. And it looked like Stanley. Yeah. And so oh. that's why I had to mention that. <laughs> anyway, <Yeah>. Stella. <laughs> uh, another positive point is that uh, Spider-Man with his shirt off, very attractive, but he kind of looked like Iron Fist. So that was a plus and a thumbs up for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're such flash- a girl. <laughs> yeah, no. The Flash Thompson bit, uh, I was a little depressed about because I was so excited and I really, you know, thumbs up, applause for the people who wrote the other special that had him. And then he was just, he was kind of given the, the short stick with the fuzzy end on it. It, it, it didn't really match up. Uh, it had the a fuzzy other, end? I, or it had poop on the end, whichever Is that you like would. Mold? What? <laughs> I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Fuzz grows on a stick. Wow. <laughs> but you are absolutely right, though, because you'll notice in my reviews I completely forgot Flash Thompson was in it, so obviously it wasn't yeah. that powerful. Which is, yeah, it's just sort of depressing. The whole Harry Osborne thing, I mean, wah, 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 I have daddy issues. <laughs> I think we've uh, really covered this to no end. But then when he's in his circle... Is this the one where he's in a self-help? Yes. yes. He's in the self-help circle, and he says that he's stayed away from drinking drugs. But wasn't it in this month that he's on the floor and because the diamond ring is there, and he had drank a bunch of bottles? So this no. is... No, this is, that, that's, that's, next, that's, that's next issue. Are you sure? Then where it's did I preview. see that? It okay. was in the preview for next issue. Oh, okay. But... And then at the end of... Uh, Which, by the way, can I say something about that? <laughs> yes. That, that preview was in the middle of the issue. It's not in the beginning. Just saying. Okay. Um, the final thing I have to say about Harry Osborn is the fact that the Lily thing is too reminiscent for me of the whole uh, Taylor, sorry, Tara and um, Deathstroke business in D.C., where it really seems like there is some sort of sexual business going on and that Norman's going to be taking her under his wing, and I don't really, I think enough is enough. And I'm not really even going to talk about the female Craven because... I don't like her as a character, and I think it's very random to all of a sudden pull that story and put it in here. And it just, I think it messes up the time frame. It was just a staccato issue where it goes from one, it goes from present time to very past to recent past, and I just didn't, uh, it wasn't the best. So I think I would give it a C minus. Okay. And Zach, what do you think? They tried so hard. <laughs> they really did. <laughs> and it just fell apart. Uh, the epilogue was pointless. Ooh, Spider-Man's mad. Ooh. Who cares? He should have been... I mean, Kevin brought up a great point. He should have been mad back when he was being thrown in freaking jail. Okay? Um... Harry Osborne acting like a whiny bitch. Um, and also we get the stupid, moronic storyline of She Craven. I refuse to call her by Anna Craven. It is going to be She Craven because it's just as stupid as, you know, She Hulk used to be. Used to be. Um, I just, this book. You go from what I like, which was this Fantastic Four, answering questions, you know, raising a couple of new ones. But you know what? We're going to hopefully get some answers next month, which 
don't hold your breath. <laughs> I know that's Kevin. I'm channeling Kevin. Sorry. That's um, what I thought. <laughs> um, even though I do know if there's answers or not, but I this to me was just a, a complete pointless exercise. Right. What's your grade? Yeah, what do you think? Uh, I I'm gonna give it. A, I'm gonna give it. A, I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna give it a D minus. Wow. I just uh, the art didn't really capture me. Uh, well, okay. I like a uh, uh, a, a paddle leaves art. Mm-hmm. You know the the yeah. guy that did the spider girl. Yeah. He helped create. Well, he didn't create spider girl. Friends did that, but uh, drew it forever. I like his artwork. He did until Tales of Spider Man, so it was always a welcome addition. But the rest of this was just bad. Yeah. I mean, it just was bad. I'll, I'll uh, do some pros and cons. F, because we have to buy an epilogue. Uh, <laughs> why do we need to buy an epilogue? I don't understand. Put this story in the main book. Don't make us have to pay another. How much again, Kevin? Three ninety nine. dollars Four dollars. Yeah. Well, you know, if they had put that epilogue in the back yeah. of Character Assassination Part Four, then they would have yeah. made that issue three ninety nine, which means we would have only paid one extra dollar instead of four. Exactly. They're they're milking us way too much, I think. Because uh, I'm an idiot. I'm picking this up. I'm also picking up uh, Sp- Spider-Man Family, so they're milking me a lot each month now. And the the main one of the main stories that has come out in the last 15 months is the Flash Thompson story that we has been universally regarded as one of the best stories in the last year. And to throw it in, in an epilogue is a waste of a story. Put that anywhere in the main title, and it'd be perfect. Because if I remember that Flash Thompson story, Peter doesn't know he's been amputated. Is that right? This is the first time yep. he realizes he's been amputated. That deserves at least a full issue. I don't. And we got basically no reaction even in this one. I know he's in, he he sees him without his legs and he goes and talks to him in the cab. I mean that deserves. If you're going to do a one shot, do it with Flash Thompson and give it some meat. And I, I'll have to admit though, I do like the speech that Flash gave to to Peter about how Spider Man inspired him over there and helped him carry on and go through the wounds. I thought that was great, but that. I don't know if I want it padded more or if I want more of a story to that, but I, I definitely don't want more She Craven. I want more Flash Thompson. I don't know. Maybe that the, maybe the Flash Thompson thing's going to play out over the next year or so. But I just think we just got gypped on that. What other, the the Norman Osborn Harry Osborn was a nice little story. It, it goes and shows again how much of a bastard father. Uh, Norman Osborn is. I didn't mind it. I, I pretty much thought that was in character. I thought Norman would smash the bike as opposed to beating the shit out of the kids. But it, it, it since Kevin uh, mentioned... You, you don't think Norman Osborn would beat the shit out of the kids? Come on now, it's Norman Osborn. Well, I, not not in a public street I, with the mask off. I don't think he would. Uh, but it goes He's to crazy. What, what Kevin would, was saying about... Uh, it made me just realize this, that uh, Norman... Probably would beat the the crap out of Lily if it was in the same line of uh, character development or character voice. Do you, you agree, Kevin? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so anyway, the first f bomb of the podcast. Yeah, no, no, sorry about that. <laughs> but I, I think it, it shows two different character voices uh, with with Norman beating a bike and Norman uh, embracing. Lily. That that's two different uh, voices, and and you know, with him being in every Marvel book, you're going to have a lot of different voices for Norman Osborn. Yeah, except this is Amazing Spider-Man. We should at least be able to keep a consistent voice for him in Amazing Spider-Man. Right. You know, and and this is this is my deal, and 
this goes to back to one of the inherent problems, I think, with what's going on with this book. You are writing a book that has to have tight continuity right. for it to work. And I'm going to use a Clone Saga reference, but that's what they did. Everybody was at that office, at Marvel at Marvel Comics offices, even though they got guys that live all across the country. They they made regular meetings, and they made it as tightly wound as possible. Tom Briefort was around during those days, so he knows what it takes for that to be done. I don't understand why we can't, why we have to have this partial schizophrenia when it comes yeah. to character uh, character developments and, and uh, character uh, interpretations. Yeah, it just doesn't uh, make any sense. I don't, I don't know if it's so much the case of that as that. On the one hand, with the Harry Osborne story and beating up the bike. They're kind of just trying to parrot things that they've seen done with Norman in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're seeing all these stories about you know younger Norman and Harry's childhood, and they figure, well, Norman was a bastard dad, so this is what he would do. Yeah. That's I think their thought process on that. Then you jump over to the thing with Lily, and the way it appears to me, obviously I'm not them, I'm not in the offices, I don't know what their actual thought process is, but the way it appears to me, Norman is a voice for the writers because the writers want us to accept Lily as a good and valid character and a valid uh, uh, addition yeah. to the Goblin family. So Even, Norman, even if it's out of character for Norman to do it. Yeah, so Norman then accepts her into the Goblin family, thus validating her, and hopefully we won't think about it too much. Yeah. Uh, uh, two different motivations. It doesn't really work for character, but I don't think Norman's character was what they had in mind when they did that. And uh, the She Craven I don't really care about. Uh, matter of fact, I don't even remember what the heck the story was about. Except Spider-Man <laughs> going down, seeing if she still survived. She's got a pet pet vermin down there, and the, the, the most interesting thing was Sinister Six 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 coming soon, which I have always loved. The Sinister Six, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, one, one other note I'll make about uh, that villain that Spider-Man fought in the. Um, uh, the night nurse's uh, hospital room or whatever. When I first read it, when they named the character of the thug that he was fighting, I thought it said Crawl Space. It's really Kara Space or Kara Pace. Karapachi. Oh, well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I read it the first time, like at one in the morning, I'm like, holy crap, they name a villain Crawl Space. How cool. <laughs> Little did I know it was Karapachi. <laughs> Maybe my lighting was off. I don't know. Anyway, that pretty much wraps up the reviews, and let's see. We're going to tackle a few more Spider-Man in the news lately. It seems that uh, in Bangkok, Thailand, a uh, little uh, autistic boy was out on the ledge and wouldn't come back to uh, the parents or the teachers, so a it was a frightened eight-year-old boy. So a fireman had a good idea that he would put on a Spider-Man suit, which he just so happened to have in his his locker. <laughs> and I guess he uses that for uh, 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 birthday parties, etc. And he put that on, and the autistic boy came off of the ledge and came to the fireman's arms, and they got the autistic boy off of the ledge before he was hurt. So that story made a lot of wires. It went on a lot of networks, etc. So what do you guys think of that? I think that's awesome. Okay, don't all answer at once. Uh, well, I, I think I think that this was the best uh, Spider-Man-related story of the year. Yeah. Uh, really, of the past couple of years, um, it, it just was a, you know a simple story, and it was it had a great ending. 
mm-hmm. you know, you, you got to give the guy credit. As somebody that's worked with special needs children and has been around them all my entire life, the, I really appreciate those type of stories that, that, that come out and uh, and really highlight the fact that there are people out there that have this type of issue. And and with autistic children, they they just they just need a little bit extra push. And I, I, I love the fact that he had the Spider-Man suit in the locker. I, I thought that was just I was looking at the article again. It says that he keeps a Spider-Man costume uh, at the station in order to liven up school fire drills. So I think that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, because I, I don't know if you guys had this uh, when, I, when y'all were in school, but uh, I know you know when we, you're in elementary school up here, at least they like once a year they bring out the smoking house, which is like a basically a, how a little mobile home on a tra- you know mobile home that they bring up and they have it simulated and they. Have to teach you how to go through it, and and I guess that's what he that's what they're talking about with that type of stuff. So it's always fun. Stella, what what did you think about when you heard the story? I think the one thing that really comes to mind is that just I guess the heroic act of this fireman, yeah. and it really just proves that even though the world is extremely messed up, and I hope people don't look down on me for saying this, but there are terrible people out there. Um, that there are people, there are individuals, there are groups that really save the world, and um, they can really be a beacon of light and hope that perhaps we're not all bad. So I just, yeah. it was a really uplifting story. And Kevin, you give the story an F. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, this was this was a better story than anything in Brand New Day so far. <laughs> this was an amazing story. I mean, if if anybody thinks that. Comic books and superheroes don't have a valid place in the world. Hey, Spider-Man saves lives. There it is. It happened. And the the bravery of the fireman, and not only bravery but ingenuity, <laughs> was yeah, no kidding, incredible. You know, I, he he's an absolute hero, and that was a great story. I just had visions of, you know how in like Spider-Man 1, the movie where he's running, uh, the Green Goblin's bombing people up on the deck and Mary Jane's about to fall and you see P- Toby running through the crowd just ripping open his shirt with the Spider-Man underneath. I just think you get that kind of image with the story when you hear about it. So I think that's kind of cool. And another not-so-cool story, we have a Nebraska mother by the name of uh, Fisha or Felicia, it might be. Uh, Schwedensen. <laughs> I probably got her name. Schwedensen. S V E N D S E N. Uh, she's asking that her school's or her son's school remove the uh, Spider-Man Revelations trade paperback, and uh, that one was printed about seven years ago, and it had that enough set issue. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 480 or 39 from the original uh, numbering. It's that issue where uh, Peter and Mary Jane are separated. And uh, Mary Jane is laying in bed, can't sleep, watches the news, and uh, sees Spider-Man rescuing someone on her television. And she then goes out to a model shoot where she's in a bikini. And like uh, every models do, you know, they're taking some pictures down by the beach and her in a black bikini. So the mom is asking that the book be pulled from the library and uh, says the, the the library says that the uh, goes through a screening process to filter out this stuff. So my question is... Should this be in a little kids or a elementary school library? But Mary okay. Jane, uh, n- yes. Okay. Uh, d- does this woman not have cable? <laughs> does she not watch TV after after seven thirty at night? I mean, come on, folks. If that's the worst the kid sees is a woman essentially, you know, 
he could go on the he could go to the beach. Where's he? Is in Nebraska, so you know he, he can go to the pool. So yeah, um, you know he can go to the pool and see these girls in little little tiny bikinis, laying out, sunbathing. It's no different. And yeah. and, and this was just this is this is just one mom and her angry crusade against. Uh, this reminds me of the fifties mm-hmm. when we got the comic code of authority. Because of uh, I forget what the name of the book was, but the book came out and then there's this you know this panic, uh, folks. We we got we got people that are losing their jobs. We got people that are uh, you know are losing their cars, their houses, everything. And this is the type of news we're going to be getting. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, there's more important things to talk about. Um, to me, this, this quite frankly was was is just is utter ridiculousness. And to set this up. You ha- this not said issue was a, was an initiative that was given by Bill Jameis back in uh, 2003. Every issue that came out that month was no absolutely no uh, wording except for the credits on in, ta- in the entire book. And so the visuals have to really tell a story. So Ramita Jr. had to tell you know had to show that she had this basically essentially a double life similar to Spider Man where she's you know a model with a, has the million dollar smile. One day, and then the next, you know, the next minute, she's back at home and she's pining after Peter. So, I mean, look, um, if you're going to pull this comic book, you might as well pull every other comic book that has any sort of DNA in it. So, to me, this this was just utter utter ridiculousness. Right, and it seems Kevin was wanting uh, 590 to be enough set issue <laughs> with no text in it. Kevin, what do you think? Is this appropriate for little kids? I think this story highlights. So much of what's screwed up about people in our country. <laughs> um, first off, the Revelations trade paperback. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Not to be confused with the Clone Saga. No. <laughs> uh, had a lot of violence in it, didn't it? Yeah. People getting beat up, you know, people committing crimes, all that good stuff. That's all good. But uh, Mary Jane's in a bikini... Oh gosh! Uh, the, our our country, for some reason, has no problem with violence, but any amount of suggestion of possible sexuality is the most offensive thing you can possibly think of. Let our kids go out, beat people up for drugs, whatever. As long as they don't have sex, my gosh, as long as they don't see a pair of tits somewhere, you know, they might have a seizure and die. That's one of the problems. Another problem, a huge problem, is parents thinking that society needs to parent their children for them. Mm, Very good point. Parents thinking that society needs to police content that they feel is inappropriate for their children. You have you have the Parents League lobbying TV stations to take off all TV shows that have any suggestion of sexuality. They see a mother sees an episode of uh, Grey's Anatomy. I've heard complaints about mm-hmm. after it's and that's either nine o'clock or ten o'clock. I don't know when it's run, but I know it's either nine or ten. And they think this show should be taken off the air. Because there's there's sexuality involved in it. My gosh, we can't possibly use a freaking V chip. We couldn't possibly 
watch the show with our kids to find out what's in it and whether we think they should watch it. We couldn't possibly just tell our kids they can't watch that show because they don't listen to us because we're not good parents. Yeah. We have to have society police content for us. We have to force it on everybody else. The Catholic League tried to have ABC shut down Boston Legal almost every single week it was on the air because they didn't think the content was appropriate for children. Well, it was on at 10 o'clock. Children shouldn't be watching it. Your son should be in bed. If you don't think your child should read (laughs) this graphic novel, if you don't think your child should see this image that is inside the book, not on the cover, don't let them read it. Parent them, for God's sake. This is... This is offensive to me. Parents do not parent anymore. They want society to be completely uh, sterile for the sake <laughs> of their children, but only where sexuality is involved. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I don't think the, I don't think the parents were very sterile since since they have kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but God forbid their kids know that the parents ever had sex. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mommy doesn't have boobs. She Ex- has milk machines. <laughs> oh. Wow. Oh, I'm sorry, Stella, you have to follow up with that comment. <laughs> let's get a female let's get a female perspective on this. What do you think, Stella? Uh well number one, I think a bikini in a comic book is the least of anyone's problems. I mean, have you seen all the other stuff? I mean, I complain all the time about what some of these female characters are wearing and that their twins will not be held up by a thin piece of fabric. That is impossible. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's number one is the issue. I think the second issue, if we're going towards the sex thing, it's a really tough line because either you educate your kids about this and you give you let them know about protection, about prevention and everything even though that opens up their minds to actually do it, or you keep them in a closet somewhere and you don't tell them anything, and then they go out and do something stupid, and then that's on your conscience. So it's either educate them and open them to the world or keep them in a closet and then they don't know. Um, So I think that, I guess that's reading too much into that issue, but... I mean, there are worse things. I remember in an, a library in the kids section, um, one a book I read when I was younger. I mean, it had curse words in it, and I was like so appalled because I was younger. I was innocent at that point, and you know, so maybe they should look at some other books. I, I don't. I think there's worse out there. Is the point of it all? Right. And in defense of Marvel, uh, all these issues have a PG rating on it. I don't know what the specific lettering is but marvel has pg on it so that yeah. means parental guidance so the mom if the little boy picks this up at the library brings it home says mom look at what i bought or what i rented <laughs> the mom should thumb through it and say you know what you shouldn't be reading this i'm going to take it back my my first reaction wouldn't be holy crap no kid should ever read this so i'm going to take it out of every library and i, I agreed just turning on the television uh I'm sure Sesame Street's had some bikinis on it before, haven't they? Didn't Sesame Street ever go to the beach? Well, yeah. Christ, have you ever seen a commercial in your life? Dude, the Hardee's commercial. Have you seen the hamburger yeah, commercial? They have simulated yeah. sex on the commercials these oh, days. I mean, they're selling a burger, dude. What are they selling? <laughs> anyway. Your wife hates it, too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've slept on the couch a few times over that Hardee's commercial when I paused. Uh, but they're selling you a sexy burger. Yeah, I tell you what, man. <laughs> Dude, we don't even we don't even have Hardee's around here. I was I was kind of surprised they were still in business. You know, I mean, for, for such an unattractive burger, 
Because it's got two onion rings on the bottom of it, and then bacon, and then like two patties, and it drips. Well, that's a man's hamburger. Come on, dude. Now. <laughs> I'm a man, and I'm not eating that piece of crap. God damn. <laughs> Anyway, I, what I you're think, saying is, if they don't want to misrepresent it, they should have a huge fat chick selling it, <laughs> or a fat dude, or a fat dude. Let's, let's do fat dudes. Uh, hey, we yeah, want to have, have a female hey, appeal, man. Where, where did okay, we, we do fat females and males. Well, I mean, you know, guys, you can actually show guys nipples. You know, wow. Be like, oh, okay, let's stop. <laughs> what? In this in this conversation, uh, we've had <laughs> machines. The girls and nipples all milk. So this is quality <laughs> broadcasting right here. Uh, well, you know, to connect it back to the whole milk machine, was it not parties that had a grown man actually um, breastfeeding from a woman? They wow. had a control like miss, that. I missed that one. <laughs> and it, was, it was absolutely disgusting. But wow. What the hell were they selling? I mean, for a thick burger that they're feeding <laughs> men. <laughs> So to maybe be weaned off of your mother's nipper, <laughs> nipper, your mother's nippers, your mother's nippers. <laughs> wow, <laughs> can't say we don't go everywhere on these topics. My God. Oh, mercy. <laughs> All right, our other topic we're going to tackle is uh, the reclusive co-creator of Spider-Man came out recently and talked a bit about the current Marvel administration. He has an article called Toyland, and Steve Ditko writes in a um, small press newsletter called The Comics, which I've never heard of, but uh, it's published monthly by a guy named Robin Snyder. I guess it's mailed out, etc. I don't even think you can order this on the, um, the previews issue. I don't know. Maybe it's a thing you sign up for in person. But anyway, Ditko wrote a lot. He wrote, I would guess, what, f- maybe 10, 15 pages if you printed all this out? And he basically takes the current administration and uh, Joe Cusada personally. Uh, he attacks a quote that Cusada said back uh, and and to Newsarama in uh, September 10th of 2006. Uh, Cusada's quote is uh, asked point blank by a fan if things in the Marvel universe will ever go back to normal after after being screwed up by House of M and Civil War. Cusada says these toys are meant to be broken. If we just told stories that kept the status quo, nobody would be in this room, and I'd be out of a job. That meant they're meant to be thrown against a wall and smashed together and built back up. And it seems uh, Ditko took offense to that, and he wrote 15 or 20 pages. Uh, taking that comprehensible nonsense. Exactly. He took that t- that uh, quote and dissected it to the the microscopic level. It seems, and I I I have tried to read this thing so many times, and I just can't because it's like a thesaurus. There's no flow, but there's big words. <laughs> <laughs> And I just I, – I don't get it. I even looked at the conclusion, which you would hope would conclude things for me. But uh, it doesn't. It uh, – anybody had any luck figuring okay, this out? Okay, first of all, I'm going to use yeah. a quote that okay. I had written in the administrator thread when I said it made my eyes bleed. It did mine too. I mean it was it was the hardest thing I've – I've read – you know, I've read some, some pretty – Difficult things in my life, but good God! Yeah. When I can't, when you can't complete the, I mean, who's he? Who's he catering to? I don't know. 
I mean, that, that's my issue. Is who the hell are you catering to? If you're ca- catering to the average human citizen, I'm sorry, the average American no. due to the idiot box um, known as television. I mean, my God, this was <laughs> this was just my. If you had seen my face when I first came across this, <laughs> and and just my my jaw dropped. I'm thinking this is just – and what I read was – I used the phrase visceral hatred earlier, but that's what it felt like. I mean yeah. it felt like this guy was a bitter, angry, upset uh, old man that had just had this visceral hatred of anybody that's ever worked for Marvel, whether it be the, the guy that takes – that that, uh, that takes Casada's trash out every day to, to Casada himself. I mean, it's just like if you have – I mean, it was just bad. That's that's just the way to describe this. Yeah. Kev, have you had much luck reading it or understanding it? Uh, I think this can make us all happy that Ditko is usually a recluse if, <laughs> if it saves us from this kind of crap. Yeah. I, uh, there was some article on comic book resources, you know, one of their many columns that collects different things, and they printed uh, – of paragraphs from this thing that Ditko yeah. wrote, and I found it completely incomprehensible. I didn't have any idea what the hell he was trying to say, so I did not go and read the full article because I couldn't understand a few paragraphs. Although I think this finally puts to bed the uh, argument that Ditko uh, was the one that plotted most of uh, Amazing Spider-Man, because <laughs> if the guy that wrote this can come up with comprehensible plots, I'll eat my foot. <laughs> There's a quote right there. You know, <laughs> you know I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand what the hell's wrong with him. Why is he so mad? Because I mean, Casada wants to break his toys. That's about all I can say. I mean, the, the I've I've had more luck reading comments of this article than I have actually reading the article. I've, as I've said, I've tried to read it three or four times, and from what I gather is, it breaks down that he he thinks. Where did I see it? I, he said. A hero is a hero, and a villain is a villain, and there's no middle ground. I think well, is what he's trying to get to. But I'm going to channel my, I'm going to channel my inner Jr. Okay. Right now, and I'm going to say, uh, and I'm going to. It goes to his objectiveness, object, uh, objectiveness. Uh, however the hell you say it, Aaron Rand's point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's deep into that, and if you look at his his post Spider Man comic work, it really illustrates that point. Uh, his his character A uh, that he had created, uh, I think back in '69 for DC, um, he was a very very much a black and white type of guy, and that's how Ditko views things. He, he's an extremely conservative. He has an extreme conservative point of view. It, it, it's it's conservative to the nth degree. Uh, it, it's to the point now where I mean he, he it just A is it, it, the whole point was A is A and B is B. Well, A can never be B, and that's <laughs> you're like doing long algebra and it's hurting my brain. <laughs> I know, and, and that's 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 its whole point of view is that is that a hero is a hero, a villain's a villain. There there is no so the, basically people like uh, characters like uh, Punisher mm-hmm. and, and, and characters like that that are anti heroes. Um, they they don't have, they don't have a, they don't have any business in comics, yeah. and I, I, that to me is what basically what I got out of it. But it, it, it's and so I, painful to read. It's and really that's the that. opposite of what Stan Lee introduced by Spider Man being the everyman. We're not all good. We're not all evil. We're somewhere in the middle, generally. 
And yeah. I think DC has the Superman is a uh, all good character. I didn't. Th- I don't think it was till I don't read DC, but it, it, I think they changed him when Marvel came around. They made him a little bit more human. Yeah, it wasn't really till the Silver Age. It, right. I started deconstructing him a little bit. And when I wrote essays in college, uh, your first line needs to grab them, and your last line needs to grab them. And I'm going to quote. Uh, Ditko's last line. It says, Reality is the ultimate authority, and its license of justice in treating everyone objectively is not in the immediate, immediate public history of losses, aka jobs, opportunities, etc., or gains, prestige, money, etc., but in real history's record, where a man, mine, action has truly earned and deserved his mark or his stain. What the hell, man? I'm like tripping reading that. I don't get it. <laughs> well, <laughs> The key phrase there, like I say, is the objective. Yeah. Uh, objectiveness, objective, Object, objectivity is what he says. Yeah, yeah. Uh, objectivity. That, that is, that's, that's his whole point. And, but he, but he, but this really kind of goes into the point of, this is probably where Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, this is probably the biggest reason why they, they, that the, they broke the band up, so yeah. to speak. I mean, you look at this guy; he's he's got this hard-headed, you know, this is the way it's got to be. And you look at the uh, stay, look at the later Dicko issues. He Peter Parker started getting very angry. He was a much more angry guy because he, he had to more, read the script that Dicko's given them. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and I think. Um, you look at Stan Lee, and he's more of a we got to make. He, I, and I'm going to use DC versus Marvel reference back at least back then. DC was the clear cut. There was a there was no middle ground. You had black, you had white. It was more classic. And Stan Lee brought in the there is a a little bit of a gray area. And so that to me is where this this whole it was. In a, there's also another quote that he made in that same not in the article but in the same group of articles where he. Uh, Basically said, I posted it in the JR's in the JR in JR's forum, uh, where he says, um, "Hang on, let me pull up the quote." But he he actually was talking about Norman Osborn and and uh, and uh, and what it kind of gave a lot of insight to what happened. It says he, the quote is, "So certainly the the GG Green Goblin could hardly be any reason for me quitting Marvel." Now digest this. I knew from day one from the first Green Goblin story who the Green Goblin would be. I planted him in J. Jonah Jameson's Businessman's Club. I planted the Green Goblin's son, same distinct hairstyle in the college issues. That apparently is from Steve Ditko himself. So this this is gonna this should dispel and, and Jarrah's brought this up many a times. That should right there dispel the notion that that uh, he was upset, he got pissed off. It just happened to be that they revealed him the very next issue. Yeah. So um, Steve Ditko, I admire what he did in terms of the visual aspect of Spider-Man. He created so many great characters, uh, and so many not so great characters. I really, the, the only time I've ever liked the Enforcers was was the spectacular cartoon when they were actually used correctly. Um, but in terms of the main supervillains, you can't beat Ditko. Um, so I appreciate it for that aspect, but this is this is just bad. Stella, what do you think? We haven't heard from you yet. Well, I read Latin, and yeah. <laughs> could you not Latin get this either? It's <laughs> actually it was like I started off actually reading it, and then I started skipping parts, and then I just went into skimming and scrolling down the page. Yeah. Um, I think, despite all his complex language, 
Steve Ditko seems like a simple character to me, and I'll explain why. I think his his specific qualm is against changing the status quo. He believes there needs to be a status quo in, in comics, and one that is destroyed that, I don't know, leads to chaos in the comics. Hmm. But I think the main problem is that he's taking this quote from from uh, Kusada, and the quote is not, I mean, Kusada might be a smart guy, I, I won't say, but this is not like a great intelligent statement of anything. It's not like the Scarlet Letter where you can read <laughs> into something and pull out symbolism and everything. Right. And that's what Ditko is doing. He's looking at this and he's really extracting all of the the words that he's using, the syntax, and that's all supposed to mean something. And I think that's where he goes astray. He's looking for something that's not there. Exactly. And I think another problem is... I mean, whereas Zach saw the key phrase in that last statement as objectivity, I would say the key phrase or the key word is reality. And if you're trying to put realism in comics, um, which I argue is there, but I think he's how I think he really wants it to be um, like real life situations, and that's just I don't know. There, it's very a uh, dis a disjunction between the two ideas. So I, I don't, I think, and also to comment on Zach's uh, thing about who was he writing for, I think he was just writing for himself. Oh, I think I this agree. is just, yeah, I think this is just a way when people go on a long excursus or whatever, they're just talking for themselves. This is just something for him to put down his ideas. And I think, I don't, I don't know why he sent it to anybody if they really thought that um, <laughs> we were going to read it, but I think it was just for himself. Well, he was writing to a mass newsletter that has uh, readers, So, but I, I agree with you very much so. This wasn't meant for the mass medium. <laughs> uh, I, I don't get what he was so upset about. I, I still would love to hear Kusada's comment on this. I mean, if so I, I was you – know, The best way to reach Kusada is going to be uh, either uh, MySpace or uh, – I don't even think he has a Facebook yet, but uh, – yeah, he hasn't accepted my friendship yet. <laughs> but I think I'm along with a lot of people. It says friend request still pending, so I don't think he checks his, his Facebook. Hey, I'm his friend. Oh, uh-huh. look at you. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, enough on the Ditko thing. That just hurt my brain. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're gonna, we're gonna do a this month in spider history without JR. Look at this. No. This is gonna be sad. Uh, we're going back to April. Uh, of 1984. So how old? <laughs> Zach, you were negative two. Is that right? No, well, I, I, was I was negative two. Okay. And I Zach, was negative three. Wow. Kevin? Negative two. So we're going back 25 years. So you guys are all 23, aren't you? Good grief. Uh, 22. 22. I'm bad at math. Sorry. 23 this year, so that's fair enough. I just haven't had a birthday yet. So 25 years ago, it seems that uh, we wrapped up a bit with uh, the Hobgoblin arc. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 251 came out. Uh, writer Tom DeFalco, plotter Roger Stern, artist Ron Friends, which are still active in Spider-Man's life 25 years later. Uh, it seems that uh, Spider-Man got a calling to New York City, Central Park. And uh, there was a circular thing in the uh, park, and he went in there, and for 12 issues later, he was part of the Secret Wars. 
So, have you guys gone back and read this issue where he hops into the Secret Wars? Stella, have you went back and read this, read this stuff? Um, or is Secret Wars I, still on your to-read list? <laughs> I have read Secret Wars, but it's been a very long time, so I do need to catch up on those again. Yeah, Kev, have you gone back and read these issues, or no, no? <laughs> Zach, I, lo- I hope you did. Uh, I did. Awesome. Uh, what did you think uh, of this issue? This issue really wasn't bad. Uh, this was uh, this was the very first issue with uh, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. It's a story to actually start their run on uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Right. A lot of people – the common misnomer is that Tom DeFalco and Ron – Tom and Ron had started on 252, which was the introduction of the black costume. Now, remember at this point, we still don't know who the Hobgoblin is. Right. Um, this was an issue that, that came up because when DeFalco – took over the book, if you remember correctly, he didn't know who the Hobgoblin was either. The only person that knew who the Hobgoblin was was Roger Stern. Um, Roger Stern's uh, basic answer was, well, you're the writer of Amazing Spider-Man. You can make him whoever you want, which was a really, really bad idea (laughs) Uh, because really they credited him as a plotter, Roger Stern. And it's kind of I, I kind of wonder how much plotting he uh, part of the plotting process he was involved in. Uh, the issue itself, um, it wasn't very. You think when I think of Ron Friends, I really think of the black costume era. Yeah. And um, I wasn't too keen on his style of artwork with the classic costume. Now, uh, oh, of course, over the years it's it's evolved and grown. But at this point, I really it was very Dicko-ish, and I'm not a big fan of Dicko. We couldn't tell it, from the last, <laughs> the last part. Um, but he uh, was, it was, you know, it was a very exciting issue. It really was, I mean, it was kind of appropriate endings because it really was kind of an ending between one era, the Roger Stern era, to the Tonda Falco era. And this also uh, highlights a point of, you know, continuity and, and there being a fluid motion to the books. Which is what we're really yeah. not seeing right now. Yeah, we're just um, talking about that, yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 my, I kind of, I kind of laughed because you, you kind of wonder how many secret hideouts the hob between the <laughs> hobgoblin and the green goblin. Okay. Uh, there's, there has to be about thirty. So it really wasn't difficult for Lily to probably find one of those stupid hideouts that's been a tired plot device since the eighties. But, um. You know, you know, Norman is buying up as much property as the Punisher is. Punisher has all these <laughs> hidden little places where he hides his guns. So maybe we could have somebody raid a Norman Osborn uh, building and a Punisher. Vi- uh, ah, screw it. It, it was now, funnier. Punisher, it was okay. funnier if I could get it out. <laughs> yeah, you wanting somebody to raid the Punisher building and it actually be right next door to the Green Goblin building? Yeah, and you have one they, villain. You have a, a yeah. Punisher Goblin. There you go. Yeah, Punisher Goblin. There you go. Because <laughs> yeah, we've cool. we've had a Chick Goblin. We've had a <laughs> bastard stepson yeah. Goblin. We've had the son of the Goblin. We've had the Goblin himself. We've had the uh, uh, the fashion police Goblin. Exactly. Uh, female <laughs> robo goblins. Don't forget them. Good oh job. yeah, yeah. The uh, one one time use. Now uh, also, also back in '84 of April, Spider-Man appeared in only three books, and they were sixty cents apiece. So you were, you really couldn't go wrong back in '84. Uh, also, he was in uh, Marvel Team Up number 140, which uh, had him teaming up with the Black Widow. And the writer was Bill Mantlo, and artist, again, Ron Friends was the art on this one. And I don't really remember that book. I don't know if anybody else does. 
Many the Marvel Team Up book was 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 a really not memorable series. <laughs> One book uh, I, I do remember that came out this month was uh, Spectacular Spider-Man. Actually, it was the longer version. It was called Peter Parker: The Spectacular Spider-Man, number eighty-nine. Bill Mantlo also wrote that. Artist Al Milgram, and this is the issue where uh, Felicia went to the Kingpin and said, "Give me some powers," and she received those, and Spider-Man kind of turned his back on her. By going to his villain. And at the, at the end of all three of these books, back in April of 1984, uh, it ended with Spider-Man going into the Secret Wars uh, space shuttle. Or whatever that thing was, the monolith. I don't <laughs> it was a, It was like a dome. So all those ended uh, with that happening. So everybody was minus two except me and JR. And I wish JR was here to talk about them. <laughs> well, I think I did an adequate you, job. You did an adequate so. job, sir, for not being we cool didn't. Uh, and geez, I mean, I didn't even get to the spectacular issue. I mean, are you are uh, you a fan of that one? I liked that one. I did that too. one was a really good issue because it really explored the depths of of Felicia's love for Spider Man, not necessarily Peter Parker, but Spider Man. And I love the. Oh, go ahead. And I love the fact that on the cover you have the Fantastic Four plus Captain America, even though they don't appear until the very end of the issue. <laughs> it also kind of started the demise of the Black Cat-Spider-Man relationship with that issue, and it kind of ended with uh, Peter Parker number 100. But uh, that was just the beginning of the end for those two. Uh, Kevin and Stella, have you guys read that any spec issues around that time? That'd, nope. be, a, that'd be a no. Stella, have you gone back and read uh, those? I remember I do have a... Uh I think I actually have that issue if it's the cover where Kingpin is in the background and then Spider-Man and Black Cat are standing, but their their heads are down and uh, they're facing behind each other. Is it that issue? No, it's this one. If you click on your link I just gave you. It's got like a sunrise and then uh, some heroes on the left-hand side. And oh, okay. the, the word balloon from Black Cat is, don't hate me, Spider-Man. Actually... You read it. I don't. I don't sound like a girl. Stella, you read it. Can you read it? <laughs> <laughs> do it in your. Do it. Do it in your black cat voice. In my black cat voice. You have a black cat voice. Well, you have a Stella uh, Fifty Two voice. Oh, that's true. I do. There you go. <laughs> don't hate me, Spider Man. What I did, I did for your love. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay, screw it. Uh, Zach, you do it in your black cat voice. Let me hear it. (laughs) Don't hate me, (laughs) Spider-Man. What I did, I did for your love. (laughs) Okay, Kevin, your black cat. Don't hate me, Spider-Man. What I did, I did for your love. Wow. Yes, the parents by James Earl Jones. Wow. (laughs) I don't think Kevin would get the role if he was auditioning for the animated series. (laughs) That's very butch, uh, Black Cat. And that wraps up our first show for April. We have another one coming out this month. I'll edit that and put it together in a few days. But before we go, I want to thank our sponsor, MailOrderComics.com. They're still accepting April orders, and you can get some great discounts off the cover price. An example this month is the X-Men Spider-Man miniseries hardcover, which is uh, cover price 20 bucks. Mail order has it for $9.99. So check them out at MailOrderComics.com. Thanks, as always, for listening, gang. I really appreciate it. I'm your host, Brad Douglas, for the Spider-Man Crawlspace. Dot com.